Good morning, everyone. Thank you, everybody, for being here this morning. It's time to get started. We are looking at Revelation chapter 12, and uh, that is Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And if you're looking in the book for that chapter, we're going to start with question 12, okay? Before we get started, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you and praise you for the wonderful day you've given us. We thank you for being our one true God that looks over us, Father, that has given us your word so that we can learn from you, Father, and learn what you want us to know and to grow into being more like our Lord. Father, we ask that you would lead and guide us in this study here. Help us to grow into being the Christians you want us to be. Make our lives what you want them to be, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So looking at Revelation, well, let me get our image up. I forgot about that for a second. Okay, it's not cooperating. Hold on a second. We'll just kill that. There we go. Okay. All right, so... That's our image, the uh, woman with wings of an eagle, and that's going to be a part of what we're going to read here in Revelation chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we have another image after that. Well, I seem to have lost my part of the... There we go. Huh. We'll get there. So this is like the dragon spewing the water. This is an artist's rendition of that and the earth opening up to uh, capture that. So if we look at our questions, uh, uh, question 12. So being cast down to earth, who did the dragon persecute next? And that was the woman, right? The woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, if we, regardless of how we think of the woman, if we think of her as, uh, you know, Israel or um, or just God's people in general, um, why persecute the woman at this point? You know, the child has already gone and ascended to heaven, right? Yes, man. Well, if we take the, the woman as the, the people of God for whom Christ came, people of God are still here, even though Christ ascended, and so the persecution of the Christians, the 
devil doesn't want the Christians to to have success, and so right. So even though even though Jesus has ascended, and that's that's the way I was looking at it too, um, he still wants to persecute Christians or God's people who are here, whoever you know, however we identify ourselves, but we identify ourselves as Christians. Um, he wants to persecute us. He doesn't want us to be successful. He's he's already lost that fight. Christ has already gone to heaven and has kicked him out, according to what we looked at last, right? So he's already lost that battle, so he's moving on to the next to do the best or the worst that he can, right? So he has to fight where he is, so his tactics are somewhat changing in a way he can't persecute us from being in, you know, by being accusing and being in front of God. So now he's doing this. So when we think about that, since he can't accuse us to God, who does he put his accusations to now? It's almost like he's having a temper tantrum now. Yeah. Well, he, yes, he's having like a temper tantrum because he's enraged that he lost that fight, right? That Jesus ascended. And he's been kicked so he out. Take, he takes it out on who he can. Right. He takes it out on whoever he can. That's right. And he will accuse us. And, you know, he will accuse us to ourselves and try to make us feel weak and unworthy and unloved and unlovable. Right? Anything to make us give up and stop believing in the Lord. Yes. Those who are following after God's ways, are, they have a target on their back. Right. Right. God's people, those of us following the Lord, God's people, we have a target on our backs and Satan is after us. He doesn't want us to be successful. Yes, Pat? I had a reference I wrote down in my Bible from years ago, and that was in John 8, verse 44. And they're talking about different things Christ was, and then it comes to say that, So there was a division among the people because of him. Right, John 8, 40, okay, there was a division among the people. There there will always be division in the world over Christ, right? Because we believe and follow Jesus, and the the world doesn't want to hear about, well, they don't want to hear about God, they don't want to hear about Jesus, they don't want to hear about anybody that has an authority or a moral authority higher than theirs. That's really what it comes down to for a lot of the people in the world that are resistant. I don't mean to make it sound like everybody is super resistant. A lot of people are just deceived. So we do kind of have to realize that as well. Um, sometimes I may accidentally make it sound too harsh, like everybody just hates us. And that's that's really not true. A lot of people are just deceived. So it's hard to break through that deception, though. Yes. Right. Yeah, and there are there are disputes even with people who who say they're Christians and say that they follow God in the Bible, and there there can be honest disagreements sometimes where we have honest disagreements on things, and then there can be those who are really only following or following parts or not really following correctly at all. Um, 
I know just as an example, uh, my family, when I was young, we weren't, we weren't good Christians. We would say we believed or that we were, you know, but, uh, as, as a whole, speaking of my family as a whole, we weren't, we weren't going to church and studying our Bibles properly. We just weren't. It's just a fact. So, um, so anyway, um, as a part of this, though, I don't want us to, uh, I don't want us to fall for his tricks and fall for his accusations. And so I, I want us to realize that, you know, God loves everyone. He loves all of us, all of you. And uh, he wants us to be with him for all eternity. And that's why we have the Bible and why we're being warned about a lot of these things we're seeing here. Um, and so that we can warn others and share that with others. Like I said, a lot of them are just deceived. So if we look at question 13, what was given to the woman? Two wings, right? Two wings of a great eagle. Now, why why the wings? She was trying to get away. To fly into the wilderness, to basically to escape, like you're saying, yes. To fly into the wilderness to her place from the presence of the circuit, right? Yes. She was Yes, she is provided for. There is a provision for her, and we'll, we'll see that. That's actually a, a little bit in the next question, too, but yes, definitely. Um, now, sometimes, and I just want to mention this because I heard some of these things when I was growing up. Uh, sometimes people will try to relate a lot of these things, saying, well, wings of an eagle, and that has some symbolic reference to the United States or something, but the problem is, the Bible came before the United States, and our founders took a lot of symbolism from the Bible, such as the American eagle, the, the wings of an eagle, the idea that the eagle represents um, uh, deliverance and freedom. And that's, you know, that's why they chose the eagle. So we came after the Bible, and, you know, that's really not, that's not really meant to be speaking about our nation in particular. Matter of fact, I don't think the Bible really refers to a lot of nations in particular, except Israel and uh, Rome a little bit. But uh, anyway, just wanted to mention that because, the, like I said, I heard a lot of stuff like that growing up, and, and I don't think that's very helpful or accurate. So anyway, does anybody have anything on that before we move on? Yes. Right. The world will pass away, but the, the word will not. Yeah. Yeah. So if we look at question 14, how long was she nourished? I know. Now this phrase, this gets me. It's a time times and a half time. Okay. Now to me, when I look at that, it does not sound like three and a half, but that's what everybody equates that to is three and a half. And it has to do with the way they spoke and talked. It's me, I, I, that sounds like, you know, uh, I don't know. It sounds almost like two and a half because it's confusing to me. But, but in the way they looked at that and the way they spoke that, that, that represents three and a half. So, um, so I just mentioned that because it, it does sound a little weird and a little confusing. But again, that's change over, over the course of history and the way we speak and the way we look at things and different languages. So 
But what this symbolizes is God taking care of his people during times of persecution, right? Here the, the woman representing God's people is has a place and is uh, nourished and taken care of and watched over, right? During this time of persecution. So, all right. If we look at question 15, how did the serpent try to persecute the woman? It says persecute. I, I could almost, you could almost take it as, you know, try to destroy or whatever. But tried to basically tried to drown her, right? By spewing water out of his mouth to try to carry her away by a flood or with a flood. And this also may represent, uh, according to some things I read, some persecution perhaps from Rome. If you're taking the dragon as Satan and his control over Rome, there, there's some thought that that could also represent that and be tied to that at that time. Um, and that's, you know, looking at it through that lens. But who who helped her? The woman. Yes. The earth, right? The earth, by opening its mouth and swallowing up the flood. Now, this might remind you of Korah and his allies being swallowed back in Numbers uh, chapter 16, verses 30 through 33, where they're swallowed up by the earth, meaning... To me, in a way, this is a sign of God's deliverance and protection of his people again. He is, he's taking care of them. So while we say the earth did it, well, who controls the earth? You know, God controls the earth. So the earth doesn't seem to have a mind or movement or anything of its own without, you know, God. So let's see. Um, now, and then in a symbolic way, some mentioned, going back to the, like what we were saying a minute ago, some mentioned that this could represent Constantine becoming um, a Christian and making Christianity legal in Rome so that God's people were not wiped out in Rome. There's, there's all kinds of, you can get a lot of uh, what I refer to sometimes as double meanings out of some of these if you read and look at all the things that people say it represent. And that's fine. That's uh, as far as I know. That's that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with it representing something. It had to represent something to those people then, right? It had to be meaningful to them. So, as well as meaningful to us today, if we look at it as more of a more of a spiritual cyclical thing, how the church is persecuted down through time. So, if we look at uh, question sixteen, so. He's enraged by his inability to persecute the woman. Who did the dragon go to make war with next? The rest of her offspring, rest of her children. The rest of her offspring or children, right? And it says those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now that is that is really specifically speaking to Christians right there, right? I mean that's a this is a straight those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Right. So that's that's who that is. Now here, in a way, the woman still can represent the Jewish people or all God's people that, you know, give birth to these different congregations throughout the world like we are one of, if you think of it that way. 
Um, in a way, she represents, you know, Christ's church and those congregations. Um, let's see. Now, in a historical sense, at this point, Satan is coming after God's people outside of Rome because Christianity was legal there, is one thought on that, if you look back at that in that historical viewpoint. And remember that Rome was considered in a figurative way at that time to be like the whole world or the whole civilized world, even though we know it was actually not the whole world. It was, you know, a, it was a good chunk of the world, right? And if you lived, I guess, in the Mediterranean or around in that area, you might feel like that was the whole world. But Yes? Now, when you talk about Constantine uh, introducing Christianity, didn't that turn into Catholicism? Well, he didn't. He was introduced or he accepted and legalized Christianity. Now, in my opinion, that ended up wrong. Catholicism split off from the regular church. So, in a way, yes. And it developed in Rome, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we had like the Dark Ages and the Crusade where the Catholics went out and killed people if they did not confess Catholicism. So, that was the persecution of the church there. And there is some, we're going to get into some of that, or at least I'll, I'll, I'll mention that, there is some thought that uh, some of that is some of the persecution that we're going to see in some of these chapters too, that it could relate to the persecution by the Catholic Church. Yes? I'm not super clear on history, but wasn't the Crusades against the, the Islamic people? The yeah, the Crusades were to regain the Holy Land from the Muslims. So they weren't targeting. Christians who had different views or whatever on stuff. To my knowledge, it was more... Dependent. Right. Now, that's the Crusades, though. Wasn't that... What, but that's during the... But the Catholic Church... Did, well, we're going to get into that, but they did a lot of things that we would just outright consider blasphemy, especially back then. If you would not confess and accept the Catholic Church as the church, they would kill you. Um, if... Uh, and they had a lot of different ways of doing that. And if... Um, well, there was something else I was going to say because I read this. Um, well, yeah, there's that, the Spanish Inquisition. But also, uh, they did a lot of things like they would allow you to, uh, they, they have a phrase for it, and I've forgotten the name of it, but basically you could buy your way into heaven. You could pay off your sins to the church. Indulgences. They called it buying indulgences. Well, I just I just want to do a little something over here that I shouldn't be doing. How much money can I give you so that you'll say that's okay? That was what they did. Seriously, they did that. And I don't think they do that anymore, at least not to my knowledge. But they, they had to give that up because it was such a scam that people finally realized, hey, this is not anywhere close to what God meant. Yeah, that's not Christian at all, yes. If anyone's ever read the book, the book, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's very explicit about how the Catholics tortured the Christians. They would tie them to a stake, they cut their stomach open, and get their entrails and burn them in front. Oh, okay. Okay, whose book was that? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Books of Martyrs. I, I don't know if I'm familiar with that, but it, it obviously has some gory details if you want those. I. I don't necessarily need that, but but yes, I know, I know. We used people used to do a lot of things that yeah, were very cruel. Okay, but um, let's see. Uh, also, if you remember, and this has always been a big deal I, as far as we're concerned in regards to the, the Catholic Church, is they um, 
they have a big deal about praying to Mary, praying to saints that they have appointed, which that is not really what the idea of the saints are at all, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. So anyway, so the Catholic Church definitely falls into some of this in the way some of this is going to be interpreted as we look into chapter 13, really. Does anybody have anything on chat? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes. I think we need to take a minute and realize how quickly Satan gets defeated. Or he gets exasperated or he's like, okay, I'm moving on. Because the earth helps her, you know, he has this plan and he sends out water and the earth drinks up the water and she escapes. And he doesn't keep pursuing her. No, he's frustrated and he quits because he can't get her. Right. How quickly he's frustrated. Right. When we think about the times of trial and persecution that we go through, we think, when is this going to end? Like, enough is enough is enough. At some point, you know, we know from the scriptures that it says we will not be tested or tempted beyond what we're able, and that he will send, you know, a way of escape for us, he'll provide for us, he provides the helper for us, he provides the word. Right. So we shouldn't feel like there's no end, that we're defeated. Oh, right. We shouldn't, like if we come under persecution, yeah, we shouldn't feel like we're defeated or there's no end to it. He will move on. Plus, God will, you know, God will take care of us. And even worst case scenario, if we die in this life, it doesn't matter. We still have eternity. I'm sorry, Becky. Oh, yes, that's right. The, also, the river coming out of his mouth here could be, yeah, false teaching could represent that. Yes, and that would be overwhelming for, for people if they fall into that. Yes? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Right, resist the devil and he will flee. That's what we're told. So so that is, that's a, that's a good point. When we think about the woman, Right. And so they're sent away. But in Genesis 21, we see how God is very aware of the situation. And yeah. the promise that he made to Abraham that Ishmael would have a nation that would not go away, it would not be as great as Israel. However, the uh, Ishmaelites, they continued on. And we see that God spared Ishmael's life and provided water. It goes on and talks about Ishmael growing up and becoming an archer and right. his wife and continuing and he doesn't die. Well, there is a good comparison there of Hagar being out, you know, being persecuted and going out and and her saying that, you know, he's the God who sees me and, you know, he's there to help them. And like you said, he saves Ishmael and, uh, and then does make a promise that he too will have a nation, right? So... And we know that. Yes. We also see Christ going out in the wilderness too, and then there he was tempted by Satan. Yes, Jesus goes out in the wilderness and he is tempted, right? Yeah, and he is tempted, but yes, Jim. Uh, in Romans chapter eight, Paul is talking about persecution and things that will come our way. 
And something we need to hold on to is what he said in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We need to hold on to that. It's easy to be overcome by the things that come at us daily. But God, if he's for us, and he will be for us if we're trying our best to do his will. Right. And see, we need to remember that, too, in Romans 8 there. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? We do need to remember that and hold on to that because God is God is for us. That's one thing we really need to remember. Some of this, some of this sometimes gets a bit heavy. It may sound a little depressing, a little scary. And I think that's why also in chapter 13, we're going to get um, a different, the vision switches kind of uh, to a different thing. And then in vision, and then in verse 14, it's again, it's kind of bad. Uh, but then in 14, we get a good vision. So so we're kind of going back and forth, showing you the bad that's going on, but then also showing you Christ, his victory, and that you don't need to be as scared of these things that are bad. So, I mean, if you re if, as we go through this, hopefully you can see that changing back and forth, that viewpoint of saying these are the bad things that are going on, what the people in the world are falling for, but remember Christ, remember he's victorious, and so we have our victory in him. And that's just a quick summary there. Does anyone have anything else on chapter 12? All right. So if we look at Revelation chapter 13, let me switch our slide here. This is going to be talking about these beasts, the dragon and the two beasts, really, is how I'll say it, even though it's a picture of three beasts, if you include the dragon. All right, so this chapter, chapter 13, it's another vision, and it really talks about two agents of Satan, or agents of the dragon. Um, the beast from the sea, which the workbook author uh, believes to be like the Roman Empire, and I believe it could possibly be, and depending on how you look at this, it could be a a political or uh, such figure. Um, really, uh, just you know, in even in society, just just um, this uh, just these evil forces, political forces in society that sometimes we we face, like. Today, we have some of those at work, too. And then in the second, the beast from the land. Now here, and I thought this was something of interest to note, the beast from the land could be the Roman Concilia, which was a committee set up in Asia Minor where the seven churches were located to enforce emperor worship at the time that Revelation was given. This they did by requiring a certificate that proved the bearer had been sacrificing to the idol of the emperor, without which one could not buy or sell in the marketplace. So this could be one of those cases where historically looking at this, some of the things we're going to talk about has, you know, already occurred in a way. It has its uh, basis in historical fact, what happened. So just something to be aware of there, that they were forced to do this type of worship to be able to buy and sell. Did you have something, Jim? I'm thinking of today, 
way things are being uh, manipulated. Yes. Uh, sounds very much like that. We could easily, um, even back in the 80s, I'm, I'm a computer programmer. Even back in the 80s, me and a guy sat down one time and we figured a very easy way to basically do like, like they talk about doing now with a chip or a barcode to do this with people where you would basically have something in your hand or wherever and you would need that to buy and sell. That, is that the same as this? No, it'd, it'd be a more high tech version, but uh, it would be the same basic principle though, right? You would have to belong to whatever to get that. So there are ways to do that type of thing today. It'd be very easy. I, I don't uh, I don't see that exactly happening. I remember in the 70s when credit cards became big, people were worried that that was the market beast, that that was that thing. So we don't want to jump to conclusions about these things, but you know, I know it's worrisome. But I wanted to mention that because that is a historical thing that happened. And they did it with paper. We can easily do it in other ways now. All right. So the main points of this chapter are these two beasts, really. Uh, the beast from the sea in verses 1 through 10 and the beast from the land in verses 11 through 18. So I'm going to read the first 10 verses here about the beast from the sea. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. Excuse me. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Here we go with this three and a half years again. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So, the first thing, before we even get into our, our second question there, have we seen this beast before? It seems to be, or... I don't know if we've seen the picture before. Okay, okay. But I just meant in the reading, 
Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if we've seen the picture before, but this is the beast that, that killed the two witnesses. This is the same beast. Now there, and, and that's in chapter 11, it says that it's from the abyss. And here it says he's from the sea, but they often called the sea the abyss because it was unfathomable. It was very deep. And we still have not totally explored like all the, all the sea and sea bottoms and all that. So it's still, you know, a very, mysterious and strange thing. So I just wanted to mention that this is the beast that kills the two witnesses, according to everything that I'm studying and reading. So what physical characteristics, this is question two, what physical characteristics of the beast from the sea are mentioned? And there's a number of different ones. It says he has seven heads and 10 horns upon which are ten crowns. Now to me, this bothers me because there's no symmetry. If I want, if I have seven heads, I want to have seven horns. You know, I want everything to be the same. But no, no, we're, we're off balance already. <laughs> that just bothers me. But anyway, that's beside the point. Upon his heads, a blasphemous name. Like a leopard with feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. And they've tried to represent that here, I think, uh, pretty well. Um, one of the heads with a mortal wound that has been healed. Now, I do want to mention that Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, has a similar vision of four beasts from the sea. And there may be a relationship in that this may be Daniel's description and his vision is different, but it has similar ideas to what we're reading here. And it seems like this may be a combination of all those beasts, but that's just a thought on that. Um, but this beast um, could be a combination of those, and it kind of represents their complete political and military power or dominance, which, again, this would suit the idea of representing Rome at these times, back in these, these days, um, because Rome was dominating everything in that area of the world at that time, right? So if you look at it from that, that sense. But then in a spiritual sense, you know, do we see Satan's counterfeit in these things? You know, do we see the lies and the deception, the, the seven heads trying to copy God's perfection and the horns trying to copy God's power and authority? And then the crowns, now these crowns are not the victor's crowns that are talked about early in Revelation uh, by the Lord, but these are just like decorative kind of fake copy crowns. They're, they do not signify that victory that Jesus gives us the victor's crown. Um, and then notice uh, they, they are sealed like God's people, but with a blasphemous name. a name that is against God or promotes being against God. Uh, the animal appearances, again, trying to appear fearsome and make us afraid, make us scared. Um, then, one head with a mortal wound that has been healed, and I feel like this one is especially deceptive and evil as it's a kind of a counterfeit imitation of Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, this is all to deceive, all to deceive people. Whether it, whether you say it happened back then or it's happening now or yet to come, it's still a deception that we have to be aware of. 
that spirit of, the, of that deception is still in the world. Yes? I'm wondering if uh, that wound is uh, where the scriptures talk about Jesus healed from bruised by the serpent's head. And his head. Oh, okay. I, I hadn't really thought about that. I guess you could relate it to, but that, that was supposed to be the serpent's head, though, that gets crushed. So I don't know if there's any relationship there or not to... He'll bruise Jesus' heel, but Jesus will crush his head. I, I'm not. There, there could be. I'm not sure. Uh, Matt, I found a, a note um, that relates Revelation twelve three the dragon, the number of heads and crowns and horns and stuff match. I didn't realize that that uh, this piece we're seeing now here in thirteen actually matches what we see described about the dragon, as far as the seven heads, the ten horns, and the seven diamonds. Right, and this beast is coming from the dragon. He's mirroring, he's like right. mimicking that in a way. That's, that's true. He's mirroring or mimicking the dragon, who is the source of his power, right? He says the dragon has given him his power, his authority. So, yeah, that, that does make sense. So, so yeah, if we, if we look at that as primarily historical, we still want to be aware that people can be deceived and fall for this type of thing. Just like, you know, we had World War I, the war to end all wars. And what was it, 20, 25 years later, World War II. So these things, history, there's cycles. There's things that occur repetitively, and we have to be aware of that. So, so just like, you know, these can be symbols of things that happened in the past, they are also symbols of things that we need to be aware of that are out there and that we need to be aware of even today. So, um, let's see. If we look at question three, what did the dragon give the beast from the sea? And I guess we, I guess we mentioned that, didn't we? Power and authority, right? His power, his throne, and great authority. So, if we remember, who's the dragon that we're talking about here? Satan, right? So, so, and his main power, at least in my opinion, is deception, right? Yes. Might have been saying back to the point I was making about the crowns and everything that uh, Satan made this beast in his image, just like God. Made. Yeah. Right, right. Satan made the beast in his image, and yeah, and he's he's using that beast to uh, to deceive the world. That's what we're going to see here, really. Yes. It's pretty illuminating when you read through this and you realize how much Satan wants to make himself equal to God. That's a big part of this, and as we go through. 13 here, you'll see he, he creates an almost unholy version of the Trinity. I guess that's the best way I know to say it. It's Right, we can very easily be deceived if we're not if we're not studying the scriptures and paying attention to what's going on and understand that that's that's what he wants. He wants to deceive everybody in society, and he wants to deceive 
the Christians as well. He's after everybody. Uh, it's just the people in society he's pretty much got if they're not uh, if they're not interested in Christianity and the Bible. Day and age, and the things that are going on, and the things we are glorifying and yep. saying righteous is what Satan is putting out there. We're buying into it. Yeah, if we look at the things that are being called good, that are bad, I mean, that goes back to the calling good evil good and calling good evil. You know, we definitely see that, and that's part of this part of this deception, part of all this that I believe is going on in the world, and it has been going on in the world since, I guess, forever, right? I mean, as long as we know. So. Uh, yeah, the minute the minute Satan talked to Eve, that was the deception immediately, right? Because the first thing he did, the first sin there was him lying. It was not really them. The first real sin was him lying about God, but that's beside the point. Go ahead, yes. Yes, yes. It's that idea of the narrow gate and the wide gate. And we see the world following. And, you know, if we have an opposing uh, viewpoint or opinion as a Christian and follower of the Lord and we share our faith, we get a lot of opposition. Because we're not, we're not like that. Yes. Right now, society has been deceived into believing, not, not everybody, but a lot of people have been deceived into believing of the things that are totally unreal. Just there's no reality. There's no basis for those things at all. But uh, so, yeah, we get a lot of pushback when we present the truth, especially anything that is morally true that goes against that, that unreality, you know, so. All right, our time is up for this morning. I want to thank you for your time and attention. We'll pick up here with question four next week. Thank you.